Hello, everyone. Before we get started, I want to ask you a question to be thinking about between now and next week's podcast. Are you or do you know an exvangelical? An exvangelical is someone who's left church and has no plans to come back in the immediate future. They use the COVID-19 crisis as a cover. We'll talk about that next week. But now let's turn our attention to this week's podcast. This is Keith Crosby out of my mind. Welcome to podcast 036, podcast 36, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. And today we're going to discuss a topic that I frankly it makes me a little uncomfortable, and that is Derek Chauvin, George Floyd, due process, and lynching. So join us over the next 20 to 25 minutes so that we can provide you a bird's eye view perspective of this complex issue which confronts our culture, it confronts the church, and it confronts you. And we will look at this through the lens of scripture using God's word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. All right. Sounds good. So Derek Chauvin, George Floyd, due process and lynching. That's uh, that's pretty controversial sounding, especially uh, lynching. And really, I think for the Chauvin, George Floyd, I know we've talked about this before, but uh, it's a bit late now. The trial's over. Why get into this now? Well, it's never too late to learn important lessons, Mark, particularly as Christians. And I did delay this topic because I wanted emotions to cool off a little bit. I wanted a cooling off period. And before we even go on any further, I'd like to really emphasize that these events represent among the greatest human tragedies on a national level and on a spiritual level that this country has faced, both for people inside and outside the church. But I think we need to grapple with what has gone on. So I think it's interesting that you use the word the greatest of the tragedies on a human level. So what's up with that? Why why use such strong language there? Well, when you look at what has taken place, you've seen George Floyd die a horrific death on camera. You've seen riots. You've seen this Derek Chauvin and in his own sort of track record in history. And you've just seen the upheaval and confusion that we see now in our culture and in the church. And I want to say something, and that is that we are missing a larger point. All right, so then where are we headed with all of this? Well, in this complicated discussion today, I fear that in the midst of all this emotion and excitement and tragedy, particularly Christians are missing the larger issues at play, as is our culture. And I have to confess, one of my fears is, is that Derek Chauvin, in the minds of some, is about to get off scot-free, even though he's been convicted because of the way his trial was handled. And again, people are missing the larger point. They are reacting negatively to all this. They are reacting viscerally to all this, and they are missing the larger point. Derek Chauvin certainly deserves justice. George Floyd certainly deserves justice. Uh, in Chauvin's case, as Christians, we know that whatever happens in the appellate process, that his crimes will not go unpunished because he, like everyone else, will face God at the end of his life. And no one, not Joe Biden, not Maxine Waters, not Donald Trump, not you, not me, or anyone listening to this podcast, escapes justice. We all have a date with the Almighty. 
in one of two coming judgments, as it talks about in the book of Revelation. God has ordained this. In Hebrews 9.27, we're told that it's appointed for us once to die and after this to face judgment. But today's conversation isn't about that judgment. Today's conversation is about this life and what God has ordained in terms of justice and due process in this life. And know this, that God is the God of due process. Due process arises out of Western civilization because Western civilization embraced the Judeo-Christian ethic. Okay, so fill us in a little bit more uh, on that and how that's going to tie into today's topic. Well, what I'd like to do today is work backward. We have these topics, Derek Chauvin, George Floyd, due process, and lynchings. Let's start with a discussion of lynchings. Oh man, that was the one I was hoping we'd get to last. That's really, to me, it's probably the most cringeworthy. It's the word that really just is like, wow, that seems really intense. So why don't you go ahead then and kick us off with with the heaviest one. All right, Mark. So why lynchings? Because lynchings represent the ultimate deprival of due process and the ultimate rejection of God's will and God's way. When you think of lynchings, Mark, what do you think of? Uh, typically, I guess for me, I think of the South, what had gone on um, during slavery and those things, um, and it's just really a terrible event in general, um, really something that's mob justice related um, and just you know, violent and just angry people that, that are going after their own form of justice. And you're right about a lot of that. Oddly, lynchings occurred after slavery. Uh, because people yeah. obviously didn't want slaves obtaining civil rights or or laying uh, hold to their inalienable God-given rights. And it is part of a past, a past that we'd like to forget. But it's part of a past that we dare not forget. Otherwise, we will mis- repeat the mistakes and the sins of the past. Lynchings, you're right, they were terrible things. In the last 150 years or so, there have been roughly 4,000 lynchings. Actually, a little bit more than that. 3,500 lynchings were of uh, African-American people, and 1,500 lynchings were of white people. This is in a study by the Tuskegee Institute that they conducted. Most of these lynchings took place in the 19th century, and and a number of them took place in the 20th century. But the reality is lynchings take place in all kinds of places and involve all kinds of people. Now, we'd like to attribute lynchings to extremists and racists or especially bad people, but it's just not that simple. And let me give you a case in point. Lynchings have occurred right here in the past in San Jose. The last lynching here in San Jose was the lynching of two confessed murderers awaiting trial for a kidnapped murder of the young son of a prominent businessman in the community. And the uh, victim was white, and the murderers were white. And they kidnapped him and were trying to hold him for ransom. And while they were holding him for ransom, they murdered him. And then in the process of investigating the crime and trying to track it all down, they were caught, they confessed to their crime, they were imprisoned, and they were lynched while awaiting further arraignment and trial. Okay, so as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, this idea of due process is kind of built into this Judeo-Christian ethic, and as we know, the this country was founded on that ethic. So how do you think, or really, why do you think so many of these lynchings took place here in America where we're supposed to have this ethic of due process? In a word, sin. 
When people take the law into their own hands, as occurred here with those two murderers we talked about over 70 years ago in San Jose, and when racists hung blacks in the Midwest and the Old South and even in parts of the North, that was sin. And they always had numbers of reasons for doing what they did, but they were all bad reasons. None of them were good. All right, so I guess back to that previous question, because yes, sin, I, I think, is, is the right answer. But, but why so many? Why was it so common here? Well, Mark, uh, that's an interesting question and perspective. But to be honest, lynchings were very uncommon here, rare even. But even one lynching or act of so-called vigilante justice, vigilante injustice is a better description, is one act too many. A better question might be, why were lynchings uncommon here? You see, lynchings are a fact of life and a way of life in the rest of the world, even today. They did occur here, but in far less numbers than they do elsewhere. Okay, so lynchings aren't really a thing of the past, but aren't they like a stain of sin on a less enlightened, less civilized time? They really do seem like they come from a, a, a part of history where people were less civilized than they would be today. Well, here's the deal. People are no less sinful today. And yes, lynchings were a sad chapter in our own history, but they are very much a part of the present world in which we live. They are common in the rest of the world, even today. Western civilization, Western culture, American culture snuffed out lynchings because of the rule of law, because of the idea of due process. But that is not true of the rest of the world. So you're saying that these are again, still a really common occurrence today. That's exactly what I'm saying. They are very common today. So where would these be happening then? Because I don't really hear about them on the news here in America. Well, obviously the news media here, that's a whole other story. But let's just uh, walk through a couple of hemispheres in a number of countries. Let's start with Brazil. According to the Wall Street Journal and Wikipedia, over one and a half million Brazilians have participated in a lynching in the last 60 years. That's about 68 people a day participating in the lynching or extrajudicial death of somebody. On a daily basis, there is at least one lynching or attempted lynching per day in Brazil. That's today, Mark. Wow, that's that's almost unfathomable for me. Yeah, and then there's the Dominican Republic, extrajudicial punishment, including lynching of alleged criminals who've committed various crimes. Now, it's not all about capital crimes. They've committed crimes from theft to murder. Is a fact of Dominican society. It's considered normative. The highest rate of acceptance in Latin America of extrajudicial punishment lynchings is in the Dominican Republic particularly in the northern region of that country. Then there's Mexico. Once again, Mexico is like Brazil. It's not at all uncommon. And, and what is common in all of these countries is a lack of respect for the rule of law. South Africa, they have something called necklacing. Uh, it was a big deal uh, when uh, Nelson and Winnie Mandela were coming to power in South Africa. They would put a flaming tire around your neck, not those two people, but it was very common. In Nigeria... Extrajudicial punishment is widespread, and it is considered an established part of Nigerian society because of an absence of a functioning judicial system and law enforcement. And so what you have here is uh, mob justice. Uh, in 2016, uh, there was an attempted coup in Turkey, and they lynched a bunch of military people. Uh, there, were, there was a, a lynching of uh, law enforcement officers in Mexico, 
and also uh, five university professors. Again, this is outside of the realm of the rule of law. And in the end, what do you think causes all of this? What is the common thread? Well, I mean, obviously sin, I guess. That's right, sin. You see, sin is uh, structural in our society. We always talk about structural racism or systemic racism. Sin is epidemic, it is pandemic, it is endemic. And that sin and our desire to seek vengeance, to take the law into our own hands, brings about a lack of due process, a disrespect for the rule of law, and there is uh, mob justice. And that's a, a sad thing. That's why we have due process in this country. So I think uh, as we move forward, I think, you know, you've, you've talked about a lack of the rule of law and a lack of due process. I think it'd be a good time to define what due process is now. According to the U.S. Constitution, Mark, due process in both the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments is the idea that nobody can arbitrarily deprive you of life, of liberty, or property, even the government, except as authorized by law. Uh, the Fifth Amendment says no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process. It goes on to say, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process. So what you have here is a respect for the individual, is a respect for his rights, and you have a process, a very rigorous process, that must be followed to deprive him of any of those rights based on law based on criminal code. And so you can't have mob justice. You just can't punish people because you believe they are guilty, even if they've confessed to the crime. There has to be a disciplined procedure for determining uh, the guilt or innocence of an individual, and that word process is key to it. Everyone's rights have to be protected, even the rights of those we detest, like a Derek Chauvin maybe, or those two kidnappers in San Jose who had confessed to the murder. Okay, so then where did this idea come from? And then I guess, really, why should it matter to us as Christians? Well, the first use of the term due process in Western civilization shows up in 1543 in the Magna Carta. The Magna Carta was the first legal document of its kind, and it originated in England. And here's what it says. No man of what a state or condition that he may be, no matter who he is, shall be put out of land, tenement, nor taken, nor imprisoned, nor disinherited, nor put to death without being brought and answered by due process of the law. What that means is you just can't, no matter who you are or how powerful you are, no matter what this other person's done, there has to be a careful process by which action is taken against the individual. And where does this come from? Because it's going to show up later on in the U.S. Constitution about 246 years later. Where did it come from? It came from the Scriptures. According to the Word of God, justice was to be carefully administered without prejudice or partiality, regardless of who was standing trial or how you felt about them. That's the will and the Word of God. You see it show up in Deuteronomy 19, where we're told a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong, and that everything has to be established on the basis of two witnesses, and that basically they would face the priest and the elders, that would be the judges and the jury, to determine their guilt. You see that principle show up in Jesus' words in Matthew 18. And what we see is this, is that justice and judgment are to be blind and impartial, that's part and parcel of due process, and there has to be a, a careful process of weighing the facts regardless of the emotions. 
This shows up also in Leviticus 19, 15, and 17. And it says this, listen to this. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Then it goes on to say, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's due process, a respect for the facts, a respect for justice. And it shows up again in the New Testament, in Romans 13, where the government represents God and meeting out justice or vengeance. The government described as an avenger. In 1 Peter 2, it talks about having respect for human institutions. And those human institutions uh, involve laws promulgated by the government. God has given us an order to our society. And there's this idea of due process and the rule of law and the right way and the wrong way to go about doing something. All of which brings us back to the Derek Chauvin trial and the brutal taking of George Floyd's life and all of the hubbub and furor that went around it. You know, what happened was people watching the video drew their own conclusions, many of which were right, and they wanted justice. They wanted a conviction regardless of due process. And then in steps, remember Congresswoman Maxine Waters from our own state steps in, she weighs in prematurely, and she says, we're looking for a guilty verdict, and we need to settle for nothing less than a conviction. You know, we need to bring pressure on the system, on the, on the jury. And, and that really compromised uh, the case somewhat and uh, the judge's reaction. Let me just play the sound clip to his reaction to these things. I'm aware that Congresswoman Waters was talking specifically about this trial and about the unacceptability of uh, anything less than a murder conviction and talk about being confrontational. But you can submit the press articles about that. This goes back to what I've been saying from the beginning. I wish elected officials would stop talking about this case, especially in a manner that is disrespectful to the rule of law. So what's going on here is she wants she wants blood. She wants mob justice. And now legal experts are suggesting that Derek Chauvin can appeal his conviction, arguing he has the right to a fair trial, which was threatened by this kind of publicity. And that's a shame because here's the, here's the situation. A crime of some kind was committed. And I believe that Derek Chauvin, in his own way, through his own neglect and brutality, contributed to the death of George Floyd. But there are people who believe differently. And you have both sides who sometimes have their own agenda, and they forget due process. They forget, even Christians forget God's will, God's word, what God's word says about this. There are those who have suggested that somehow George Floyd got what, he was, what was coming to him, because of his criminal past and because of his criminal behavior. And I have to tell you that regardless of his criminal record, and when you look at George Floyd's criminal record, he was a bit of a brute. You know, he put a gun to a pregnant woman's stomach and threatened to kill her baby and him if he didn't give her money and drugs and all this kind of business. You know, and he was under the influence of fentanyl and methamphetamine at the time of his arrest. And at 6'7", yes, he he resisted arrest. And as he was arrested, he ingested the rest of the drugs that he had and everything. And he died in police custody. But anyone suggesting that he got what he deserved in the way that he died because karma caught up with him, that's just a pagan, unchristian belief. Because when you are taken into custody by law enforcement in this country, not only are you in custody, you are under their protection. And it's their job to get you 
to jail to conduct you there safely, to leave justice to the court system, and to treat all citizens with respect. Sometimes citizens resist, but watching that video and seeing that knee on that man's neck for nine minutes is inexcusable. I understand that people resist arrest. I understand that people fight. I've seen it. But watching the video leaves little doubt, some degree, that Chauvin contributed to this man's death. And that was a violation of due process. Did he resist? Yeah, he resisted. Did he deserve to die? No, he didn't. Does all his criminal past add up to some sort of karma? No, it doesn't. Did Derek Chauvin contribute to his death? Yes, he did. But here's the problem with all this. So now are we to commit an equal injustice to Derek Chauvin and to uh, leapfrog over his due process? Are we to uh, return evil for evil? No, we're not. No, we're not. And all this insistence that the man's guilty, why try him, or Maxine Waters, or anybody else saying all these crazy things is just unchristian. Yeah, you know, I think this is actually a great case to kind of demonstrate this because it's actually an area where uh, you and I might even disagree a little bit on exactly what Chauvin's role in, in George Floyd's death was, but we both agree on the fact that George Floyd didn't receive the due process that he was entitled to. And and we would both also probably say that it seems that there's been some perversions of the due process that Derek Chauvin was was supposed to have had. And so so really I, I think let's let's bring this down to, to what the main point is here. Well the main point is that for the Christian, the Christian it's not about vengeance. Vengeance vengeance belongs to God and he will repay. No one is going to get away with anything. We see that in the book of Revelation. We see that in the book of Daniel with the resurrections and the judgments. But we should be, as Christians, we should not lose sight that we have been drawn into worldly thinking and thinking about this in a secular way. Here we are divided as Christian people in many cases, some side or feel empathy or sympathy toward George Floyd, some toward Derek Chauvin. But we should be grieving for both men and their families. We should be grieving for a fallen world. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. And the only way to make peace in this world is to see it changed one soul at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ as people come to Christ as they are filled by the Spirit and as their lives are changed and their thinking is changed from the inside out. Now make no mistake, pass all the laws you want, protest all you want, it's your right, but in the end, in the end you're just putting a band-aid on a bullet wound. We live in a fallen world in perplexing times and you may say, well where is the hope in all this? The hope is in the gospel. The church, the invisible church, the collection of all Christians everywhere, Christ is the answer to these problems. But we need to be very humble and very cautious and very selective about what causes we take up. And we, not, we, we cannot lose sight of the gospel. We cannot lose sight that this is a broken, fallen world. I'm afraid that many churches and many Christians have gotten caught up in this and they have embraced the thinking and the ways of the world, seeking worldly solutions that don't work, that can't last, that won't last. Well, Mark, I think that's about all for today. If, you, if any of you would like further resources, you can visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. If you'd like to ask me a question, 
Email me at keith at hillside.org. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you would like to worship with us, we have services at 8. At, and starting May 16th, we have services at 8, at 9.30, and 11 o'clock. You can also worship with us online at www.hillside.org forward slash services. Before you go, if you're listening to us on any podcast platform, give us a great rating. Tell your friends about us. We want to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to provide you with insight and solutions to the problems that you face. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler. Out of my mind, God bless you and keep you.